0: Okay, now we do. Uh, We are in the, uh, getting close to the end of a series that we've been doing. It was supposed to be eight weeks on evangelism, but I found out by accident that I was uh, preaching an extra sermon a couple weeks ago, so we quickly scrounged up a ninth one, Uh, but we will be uh, continuing this series until uh, April Fool's Day, Good, good day to end a sermon on evangelism. Sunday, April the 1st, which is Palm Sunday. And uh, we've been uh, talking about how that if we understand the good news, uh, if we get it, we're going to give it. If we have captured the heart of the good news, we will evangelize. Now, Kirsten is back from Oxford. She got back last Saturday. And uh, for the second time, she brought me a... Jar of Frank Cooper's Oxford Vintage Marmalade. And uh, it's a little jar like this. And, and uh, I, I, was, I normally uh, eat marmalade about once a week. But when she brings that back, the jar's gone in a week. And um, on the side uh, of, of the jar, it says this. A dark, seriously intense, coarse-cut Seville orange Marmalade sure to appeal to the mature palate of the true marmalade connoisseur. I mean, I tell you, Oxford, you go big or go home, right? It's just, that's all there is to it. But you see, they get it. They, they, they are convinced in their product. They're, they get the good news. It reminds me of my son-in-law, Marcus. Some of you remember me telling the story a few years ago. He shows up over here at Calabria for coffee, and Marcus is Swiss. Of course, Calabria, it's an Italian uh, outfit over here, and, and it's a place that we've been having coffee ever since we arrived 20 years ago. And Marcus stands up at the counter, uh, steps up at the counter, and he orders a chai latte. And uh, the papa, the, 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 the papa of the outfit says, What do you want to do that for? And Marcus, you know, in his Swiss-German accent says, well, because uh, uh, I, 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 that's what I wanted. He says, he, he says, where are you from? Marcus says, Switzerland. They don't do that in Switzerland. <laughs> he says, i tell you what. You try this, he, he, I don't know, some kind of cappuccino or, or espresso. He says, you try this, if you're not happy, come back. You know, and Marcus says, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> so, so that's an example of somebody being sold on their product, right? Just like the marmalade folks. And uh, so that's kind of been the theme of our message. And last week we talked about humble apologetics, how that, that as, we, as we give a reason for our faith, that the form is just as important as the content, that as we endeavor to communicate the good news, how we say what we say is just as important as, as the actual what we say. As Marshall McLuhan, the famous Canadian, said, the medium is the message. And that's kind of what Paul, Peter, was saying when he says when you give a reason for your hope, do it with humility and with respect. There's, there's a, there, the medium is the message. So today, uh, on that theme, I want to continue how... To communicate the good news, not just the content, but how we do it. And I want to talk about something that's actually very counterintuitive for for those of us who grew up in the church and were raised in evangelistic churches. We were bred on a mentality of learning how to communicate effectively, we were bred on a mentality of proclaiming and broadcasting the gospel. And and to get the message, in order to get the message out. But today I want to argue, even b- from a biblical perspective, that one of the most powerful ways that we can proclaim is to ask questions. Now that seems that counterintuitive, to proclaim by asking questions. But I, I want to show how God does that. That God actually gets through to us by questions. Some of the most powerful things that have happened in the... History of the church and in our own lives often comes by a question breaking through. How many here remember your very first grade 7 science class? Raise your hand. Anybody remember? Rose is going like that? Esther, that's cheating. You have to have been over it for five years or so, right? But Uh, Can you believe this? I remember vividly my first grade 7 science class. And the reason is, is because a little teacher named Mrs. Gobi. And I remember arriving in in Alberta, uh, grade 7 is where junior high starts. And I remember, you know, arriving in the class in fear and trepidation. And Mrs. Gobi stood up, little little kind of, you know... uh, middle-aged lady, not that impressive looking, but she got up and she asked us a question. And the question she asked us was, and this, understand this is the peace country of northern Alberta, she asked us, why do the leaves turn color in September in, 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 in northern Alberta? Now, we grew up in an, in an area... Northern Alberta, the seasons are a lot more distinct than here. In, in northern Alberta... It's summertime, and when it's autumn, it's just, bam, it's autumn. It doesn't, you know, it, all of a sudden the frost comes, the leaves turn color, a wind blows, and in two weeks they're gone, and it's just bare, and then, how many know when winter comes, it comes, it's just, bam, you know, and and, and spring's the same, you know, you just, you think you're going to die, the, it's been 40 below for two months in a row, and all of a sudden, the the water starts flowing, and, and the sun comes out, and and so as as Alberta children, I would already always assumed because frost accompanied the, the turning of the leaves, so I'd always assumed, of course, that um, that it was it had to do with the temperature. Well, she took the whole class just to ask us questions because we answered questions, we answered kind of according to our presumptions, to our presuppositions, and we had made conclusions and the whole class she got us to come to our own answers about why the leaves turn color that it you know she she as she asked questions she said well if it's because of the frost why are they already turning color when there's been no frost yet the temperature hasn't been below at that time 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Why why? And so she asked us and I and it's it's just it's as clear and as vivid as if I'm standing as I'm standing before you now at that that class and and she began to show us that that it had to do with light and photosynthesis. Remarkable teaching uh uh quali- quality that she had. But at the end of the class she gave us a gentle rebuke. She said, you're already 12 years old, and you've lost that sense of curiosity. And she challenged us to never lose that, to never uh, stop asking questions. And I've always remembered that. And I realized that that, in many ways, was the Holy Spirit talking to me through that teacher. Because God wants us to be people who ask questions, who are good at asking questions. In fact, asking questions is one of the most important things about being a good conversationalist. How many conversations have you been in where it kind of got stalemated and you kind of didn't know where to go, but a good question just injected straight, fresh life into it? And so today I want to argue that, there's, that we, we can't truly understand effective evangelism without understanding the power of questions, because a lot of evangelism is, is, is good conversations Asking questions is important not only to challenge our beliefs and presuppositions and to, and to continue to quest for truth, but it's important for another reason that Paul uh, gives to Timothy. Our text is going to show us here that questions are important to avoid unnecessary conflict in evangelism. Now, evangelism, there, there is a, a conflict going on. There's, there's, there's a conflict of kingdoms. And what we need to be careful of is that we, we, we don't get into conflict that's not necessary. And often, how many have, have, have ever been in an argument with somebody? Uh, it may, might be a loved one or maybe somebody that you were maybe trying to witness to. I don't know. But all of a sudden, the, 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 the argument seemed to take on a life of its own. You know, it, 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 husbands and wives know this, right? It's, it's like by the time you're done, you forgot what the original issue was all about. Does that ever happen to us, honey? Yeah, yeah. yesterday, yeah. And, and so Paul writes these words to Timothy. He says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who will listen? Now, the word "quarrel" comes from the Greek word "logomachio." Logo is words. "Machio" is is quarreling, and I'll, I'll, uh, it, it's striving about empty and trifling matters. It's 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 not being good at picking the right of Somebody know life is battle, but there are there's an ability and a wisdom in life of learning to pick your fights. And often quarreling is is fighting over things that, it you know. Uh, uh, in, in, in church life, there I can't tell you the number of times every week where I go, you know what, that one's not worth fighting for. Yeah. That's not worth, you know, you just, you just let that one go. I forgive. You know, Paul talks about overlooking offenses and, you know, not counting sins against them. And then, but, you know, sometimes you have to say, you know what, this, this is an issue I need to bring up and I need to address this because it's, it's breaking our relationship, right? But if, you, if, you're, if you're going through life nitpicking, nit, nitty-picky about every little thing... You know, if, if you're with, especially with your, when you're living and working with people who have a different value system than you do. They have a different authority for, for what they believe is right and wrong, and we'll talk about that. And if you're nitpicking, you know, somebody tells an unclean joke, or they say a word that's off color. I, told, I talked to you about my boss last week that would often take the Lord's name in vain. I, I just felt like God said, that's, that's not the core issue here, you know? The the F-word is not the core issue. I mean, know there's more important issues than the F-word. That's why I like Battlestar Galactica, because I can just say frack as much as I want, right? Um, but it's 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 just not the issue. It's just it's there's there's more important issues in life. Now, yes, hopefully at some point God's gonna help clean up our, our language and all of that, but 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 there's more important issues, and so Uh, An example of a quarrel, quarreling about words, is is this recent video that came out and went viral on Facebook by the young guy that did a (laughs) so-so rap on why I love Jesus and hate religion. Anybody see that one? Now, it it went viral, and and then a little bit later, the Catholics did a pushback on why I love Jesus and religion. Right? So there was this kind of on the Internet... But as you begin to study and look at what they were talking about, you begin to realize they're both saying the same thing. Right? That when one person says religion, they mean their faith. When another person says religion, they mean dead legalism and dogmatism and, you know, uh, rules and regulations. But you get them together and you say, well, what do you mean by religion? And you get them to define terms. See, questions help Remove the smoke screen of conflict that often happens and that's what you want to do when in evangelistic conversations is you want to get rid of the smoke and get to the core of the matter and Paul goes further and he says this don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments he's assuming that we will know when something is becoming a stupid argument <laughs> he will, he will, he's assuming that we have this discernment to go you know what this is a stupid argument this should not be happening right now, right? So he says, don't, don't have anything to do with those, uh, because you know they produce quarrels. Now, here's the same word, quarrel. Again, it's the word ma- "makio," which means a, a combative person, a fighting, div- divisive, striving person. Divi- divisive, yeah. <laughs> who, who doesn't nitpick about how you pronounce words, you know, those kind of things, right? <laughs> Thanks, Gordy. We, we, we set that up beforehand, didn't we? <laughs> I'll pay you later. And and so, um, you know, like I, I've, I've, I've seen these, you know, sometimes I've come, you know, I've come across these people in church life where... Where they they just you know they they it just seems like no matter what I do I can't make them happy and and they'll finally leave the church this this hasn't happened for years but but it uh, it used to happen back in the dark ages and um, somebody left because they didn't think I was perfect and so uh, it doesn't happen anymore but uh, but you know these these and I'll I'll go God you know I just wish I could have done a better job of being a pastor and. And then I'll find out, you know, a year later the same thing happened in another church. They ended up and, and, then, and then another church and then another church. See, some people they just have a way of conflict follows them around. And the Bible says that if you're a servant of God, verse 24, you're not quarrelsome, you're not a combative, fighting, divisive person. As my predecessor, Joe Calder said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, amen. Right? Now, we, we fight by loving. That's the way we fight our battles. We overcome evil with good. So I'm not saying there isn't a battle, but it's how we battle, right? And so the, the servant of God, this is, this is to characterize our evangelism and our relationships. We're not to be quarrelsome, but we must be. Kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So the able to teach is getting the content of the gospel down and not being resentful. Why? Because there's sometimes there's going to be occasion to be resentful. Sometimes people are going to say things. Sometimes there's going to be reaction. Sometimes you may get impatient because it's just taking so long to get it through somebody's head, right? Verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed. In the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul is saying, on one hand, don't get into quarrels, but on the other hand, don't avoid conflict. In other words, there, there's this, this balance where you, you so, some people just avoid conflict by, by, by not saying anything. But, and, and Douglas Todd of the Vancouver Sun, he spoke to evangelicals a couple of weeks ago and he said, or a couple of months ago, and he told us, don't apologize for standing in the public, uh, market, the public place, and declaring who you are and what you believe about Jesus Christ. Because he, as a, as a neutral observer, is seeing the impact that evangelicalism is having on our culture. He knows that there's things that we stand for that's controversial. It doesn't go with the culture. But he's recognizing that evangelicals that have a a bit of brains that think, that have the spirit of Christ that stand up in the public place, are having an impact on Canada. Right? So, but it's easy to kind of say, well, you know, just to make everybody happy, we won't say anything. Right? And that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, no. He said, but do it with gentleness. Do it with kindness. Keep keep the spirit of Christ on you. So a rule of thumb is if somebody gets angry in an evangelistic discussion, you've lost the battle. If someone gets angry in an evangelistic discussion, you've lost. Uh, If they do get angry or offended, let's just put it this way. Let it be because of the message and not because of the messenger. Let it be because of the message and not because of your demeanor. All right? Now, sometimes people do get angry, as Jesus found out. But it's important to make sure that the anger is for the right reason. Now, uh, th- there, there's, there's a, a subversiveness then in how we engage our culture that's so important. And I want to talk about the gospel according to Columbo. <laughs> this guy is my hero. Anybody watch Columbo growing up? You have to be old enough. Unless you ordered the reruns. They're all available on YouTube, I think Now. But this guy, I, I just, I don't know, he, he just captivated my heart. He was a cultural icon, known for asking questions. He'd show up the crime scene. Remember some crime scene? And it, and it looked like the perfect crime scene. It was airtight. Nobody was going to crack this. And he'd show up like this bumbling idiot. He's kind of, you know, he, 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 his, his trench coat is wrinkled. His shirt is hanging out. He looks like he, he just came out of bed. And he's mumbling to himself. And he doesn't look like he could think his way out of anything. And uh, his shoes came from a Salvation Army thrift store, so we're in the right place. He always wore this, as I said, a rumpled, stained trench coat. Someone once looked at his attire and asked if he was undercover, and he said, no, underpaid. (laughs) He chomps on this half-smoked cigar, and he's always bumming a light, never has, you know... He has to get a light from someone else. And when, when he, st- he starts asking questions and then he gets out his pad and he doesn't have a pen. So he has to bum a pen off somebody. So he's just totally disorganized, totally dis- disoriented. And so, so he talks about the missus. And, she, you know, he usually quotes a couple of platitudes, homespun wisdom from the missus. And then he says, do you, mind if, do you mind if I ask you a question, right? Because he's this Italian guy. Sorry, Dan. Do you mind if I ask you a question? And uh, there's something about this that bothers me, right? <laughs> and then, one more thing. One more thing, right? So, then he walks, I was watching this kind of five-minute caption yesterday, he, or a couple of days ago, and he walks out of the door on this guy that was the suspect. He walks out of the door, and about five times, he comes back, walking back through the door, and he goes, oh, one more thing. But driving the guy crazy, right? One more thing. But he, he had this, what he was doing, and it looks manipulative, but it wasn't because his heart was right. He wanted the truth. And that's why he was so disarming. He wasn't adversarial. He wasn't after the person. He was after the truth, Right? But often the person happened to be in the the sights of truth, right? And and, and that's when they often would get nailed. Uh, But he would manage the conversation in an innocuous way. And you see, as Christians, if we ask questions, if our heart isn't right, we can become manipulative. We can can dominate. But if we have the heart of St. Francis, which was, seek to understand... Before we're understood, it's, a, it, it's asking good questions is a labor of love. It's a labor of love and in, in, in a discipline in other centeredness rather than self centeredness. Asking questions is, is a discipline in other centeredness rather than self centeredness. So God bless Colombo and Peter Falk. All right. Jesus described Colombo this way. You didn't know Jesus knew about book? Of course he did. (laughs) He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, who's Jesus talking to here? What's their nationality? They're Jews, right? So what's what's the connection a Jewish person is going to make with a serpent, with a snake? Satan. So Jesus is asking his disciples to be a little bit more satanic? (laughs) What's going on here, right? Well, if you go back to the garden, when, when the serpent came to Eve, what, did, what was the first thing he did? He asked her a question. So Jesus quickly qualifies it by saying, and be as innocent as doves. Satan's tactics were right, his heart was wrong. But what Jesus was saying is, use those tactics, but have a right heart. In how you do it, because when you ask a question, you plant a seed of doubt in people's suppositions about their and their worldview. In other words, use it with a heart to love, to learn, to be humble, and to understand, and to arrive at truth together as fellow sojourners. So the question I have for you is: what in, in the gospels, what is the first thing we ever find Jesus? actually doing okay take a take you know the story of the birth narratives His growing up we finally find him where he himself has volitionally decided to do something this is God the word of God the message of God to human beings what's the first thing the Bible says he's doing he's asked he's listening and asking questions isn't that interesting so Jesus, get this, he is God's message to the human race. He is called the word of God many times, isn't he? And the first time we find him, he's listening and asking questions. Luke chapter 2, I think somewhere around verse 42. Right? And that didn't stop. Yes, he became a great teacher, of course. But I'm going to demonstrate in a few minutes that he, his whole life, he taught. He, he, he would say, what do you think about this? A man had two sons. And to one he said, go, do, go work in my vineyard. And the son said, no. But later he did. And then another son said, sure, I'll do it. But then he didn't. Which one do you think did the father's will? Like how many, how many times did he teach like that? He'd ask them. What does the scripture mean when it says, David said to, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. How can he be his Lord if he's his son? Like he constantly asking questions like that. Jesus knew the power of questions. And, and God, through scripture, would ask questions. You know, I, I, the book of Job. Job's suffering. And he spends what is it, 30, 35 chapters asking questions, uh, interrupted by his friends who are trying to give him platitudes and, you know, shortcut answers. But he gets to the end of uh, his, his, his rant, and God comes, and, and what does God do? It takes five more chapters, to ask, or four, four chapters of questions that God asks Job. And Job's going, oh, I don't know the answer to that one. No, I don't know that one either. No, no, no. Right? Four chapters of questions. Did you know that the vineyard probably would not exist if John Wimber hadn't heard God ask a question a few times? Remember he was in that great church that was growing, the Quaker church? And he just chewed somebody, else, somebody out because they weren't reading their Bible and praying enough and going to church enough and tithing enough or whatever, whatever... And he walks out of the church and he hears God say, Would you go to this church if you weren't paid? And it stopped him dead. Stopped him dead. Right? That's a good question for pastors, isn't it? (laughs) Um, How about this one? Remember that little lady that came up to him and said, When are you going to use your authority? That was her prophecy to him. You know, it it was questions that stopped him cold, stopped him in his tracks. And thank God he listened to them. Thank God he heard those questions. So questions helps avoid an arrogant and preachy tone in our lives to maintain a posture of humility. It also helps us uh, to stop wasting time where people are not truly hungry for truth. So for example, Jesus comes into this uh, the temple courts this is near, near the end of his ministry. And while he was teaching, Matthew says, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you this authority? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Isn't that interesting? So they ask him a question. He answers with a question. Now what had he just done? He had just cleaned out the temple. Remember that? That was kind of a, a cheeky thing to do, right? So they said, well, who who gave you the authority to do that? And he he responds, well, before I answer your question, let me ask you a question. Now, how many know it would have been easy for him to just try to answer it? What's the obvious answer? Who gave you your authority to do this? God. Now, what would have happened if he had said God? They'd have said, well, we don't think so. He said, well, I think so. Well, we don't think so. Well, I think so. Well, then then it becomes this argument. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. It reminds me, I don't know why I'm thinking of the stupid story of the guy that walked into a me- mental institute, and he comes up to this guy, and he says, Hi, what's your name? And the guy says, Napoleon. And he says, Oh, yeah, who told you that? And the guy says, God did. And the squeaky voice from the other side of the room goes, I did not! <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that story, but I just thought of it. had nothing to do with my sermon. And, and so there's, there's this... Um, there's this reason why Jesus answered that that way. You see, he, the, he discerns that there isn't a true hunger for truth. And so, and he, he gets it right. Because it says they... they um, he, he, oh, sorry, I, I didn't read the part where he, um, he asked them the question. The question is, John the Baptist's baptism. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? So... They, they went to and They went, oh, huddle oh, up, boys. We better get together and talk about this. Because the people absolutely loved John the Baptist. He was a very popular preacher. But the thing is, he didn't go into the temple, into the sacrificial system, and go through the cultists. He, he kind of was out there. And, and so the religious leaders didn't like John the Baptist, but John the Baptist had an authority. He'd heard from God, and the, and the masses really loved him. And so they got together... And they discussed it among themselves, and they said, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? But if we say he's of human or, or origin, we are afraid of the people, for they, are, they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then he said, neither will I tell you, boy, what authority I'm doing these things. You want to tell me? I'm not going to tell you. No, why? Is he just being cheeky? What's, what's going on there? he recognizes that there isn't a true and genuine heart for truth. That they're trying to plant a bomb to distract. They're trying to undermine him. And this is going to happen sometimes in our evangelism. How many know that there's hot button issues that Christians are asked about that will try to sidetrack us about Jesus? Someone will try to throw a hand grenade into the conversation to undermine and dismantle everything we said. See, this guy's a bigot. So why should we listen to anything he said? You know, you get asked these questions and, you know, and, and a lot of the things that, that get thrown at us this day has to do with, in these days, has to do with sexual amours. This, that's one of the areas in our culture. Now, in past ages, it's been other things, but it, in this time, it's kind of one of those hot-button issues that people want to upset the apple cart um, and, and ask questions. And um, what I... I have found is it's very important to, to make sure that we learn the art of asking questions to get to the heart of the matter. Um, questions will be, you know, so, so for example, you know, Kathleen and I were reading yesterday in, a, in a, one of our daily uh, tabloids in the city about this guy who basically assumes that um, after four dates, he should be in bed with the girl. This is, a, this is an editorial in one of our our, our dailies. And he kind of has a um, uh, uh, four downs football idea that, you know, if it's four downs and he doesn't get into bed with her, then the relationship isn't going anywhere and he moves on. Now, this was a column, an editorial in our paper. And this is basically where our culture is at. All right? So, so people will ask us questions like this. Well, do, do, you, do you think all gays go to hell? Right? Remember, um, I, I love Billy Graham. He'd get asked questions like that on the Larry King show. <laughs> he was so good. Billy Graham had this winsome way of saying, anyone who believes on Jesus Christ will have eternal life. he just, he just focus on Jesus, right? And, but but these, these are often questions to try to, to, to undermine us so that we look like bigots, so that, the, so that our, our message is uh disregarded so one one thing um, that's very important is to if you're asked a hot button question and and i found this so significant our culture doesn't understand tolerance our idea of tolerance is we all agree with what everybody does so be, when you get asked a hot button question pre- preface your answer this way before i answer that question can i ask you a question Do you believe it's okay to accept someone even if you don't agree with them? Oh, of course I do, right? That's Canada. We're Canada, right? Are you a tolerant person? Oh, yes, of course I'm a tolerant person. Well, the reason I'm asking you that is because what I'm about to say, this is when you're pushed to the wall. You know, try to, As Dawson said a few weeks ago, you need to stay focused on Jesus. But when you're pushed to the wall on something, you then, then uh, bring this out. Because what I'm about to say may be different than what you believe. So I want to make sure that you don't reject me just because we disagree. And then you explain the, sex, the you know, sexual morality from a Christian perspective. They explain the theology. But hold them accountable on their own commitment of not judging you as a bigot because you disagree. Do you understand the difference between acceptance and agreement? Is it okay if we disagree here, or will you uh, be a bigot towards me? I'm not judging you, are you judging me? Right? So the whole thing is, 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 is that, uh, and, and I see this sometimes to my annoyance on some of the Facebook post, postings, is we have this idea that tolerance is agreeing with everything. Actually, tolerance is disagreeing, and you still can respect those differences. And, and, and this, again, was what Douglas Todd, as an outsider, was challenging us as evangelicals, that was that we have too much of a persecution complex, and we too much apologize for what we believe. So just get out there and say it. Be part of the market of ideas. Let it, let it out there, like Paul was in, on Mars Hill. So I believe that as a church, we must hold our culture accountable for the standards that they're trying to hold us to. They're painting us as being judgmental while being judgmental themselves. So I think that the church needs to push back on our culture. We need to push back. And gently, lovingly, but say you, you believe in tolerance, you believe in differences. So that's one example of, of how questioning, uh, asking is very important to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Now, just to wrap this up, there's three kinds of questions in our conversations with people. That, uh, that, uh, that we want to outline here. The level one question is what questions? What do you believe about spirituality? What do you believe about God? What do you think? You know, those kind of level one questions. Um, I used to go out, I don't do this as much anymore, although some of my colleagues do in the city, I used to go out with a little questionnaire. And I would go up to people and say, hi. I'd tell them who I was. There was no, you know, subversive. I'm Gordy from the vineyard, whatever. And I'm, as a church, we're wanting to serve our community better. Can we ask you a few questions? On spirituality, on life, morals, that kind of thing. And And I would ask questions. And people love to talk. When you ask questions, they love to just let you have it. Just unload on you. And it was a powerful, powerful thing. Um... I think you can do that manipulatively. I think your motive can be wrong. I think that you can do that in a way that's uh, unloving. But I think if your heart is right, I've seen God use that. Uh, Cal Weber, one of my friends here in the city that works with university ministries, finds that very powerful on campuses a lot. University students are thinking and and really uh, asking a lot of important questions. The second question is a level two question, is why? Why do you believe what... What you believe? How did you come to that conclusion? Um, and children are 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 amazing in this, aren't they? Why is the grass green? Well, because of you know why, right? And then you give another answer why, but why? And then finally you go because I said so, right? That's It's kind of they drive you crazy. Now, one of the things that it's important to understand in rational arguments is that it's kind of like a house that has a roof. The roof of the house is a conclusion. That's in the the area of the what questions. And uh, every roof, every conclusion has underlying supportive evidence, has has presuppositions as to why you believe what you believe. And often what happens is when we're quarreling about words, we're throwing roofs at each other. Well, my roof's bigger than your roof, or my dad's bigger than your dad, and, and we're, we're at that level of an argument rather than going deeper and asking why. Why do you believe that? So, uh, so a person, uh, Timothy Keller says, says this, that all doubt is an alternate set of beliefs. So, for example, says, I doubt Christianity because there can't be just one true religion. What he argues is that, is that in itself is a statement of belief. Okay, so why do you believe that there can't be one true religion? Why is that? What, what's your basis for that? And get people to, to, to think about it. And often what, what you'll find is people haven't thought about it. Again, it's just, they're, they're, it, it's just like Mrs. Gobi in grade 7. We've, we start, started to assume something. And our culture, we're constantly being uh, brainwashed, as it were. There's constant uh, propaganda. The party line. And so it's important as Christians, as people, as humans, to constantly push back with questions. Well, why do you believe that? What's your basis for that? Um, And so you have, actually, uh, the the walls are the premises. What what evidence do you have for that belief? I want to just show you something here. Uh, For example, I could stand up in front of you and say to you all, this is my roof. My roof is... This is not an apple. This is a pear, right? Now, you, you could, we could argue, well, yes, it is. And I could say, well, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. We could be arguing at that level. But if someone was to say to me, but why do you, why do you believe that's an apple or, or not an apple? And I could say, well, all apples are red. Well, see, now you're getting to this part. You're getting to the premises, right? These areas. And so you begin to ask the why questions. Anybody hungry? There you go. I washed it, by the way. See, the other thing is, is, uh, is on the apple. I had a little tag that I pulled off when I washed it this morning, that says "Golden Delicious." All right, didn't say apple, so I could have assumed, well, that's a Golden Delicious pear, right? But it's, it's, it's just important at a belief and philosophical level to ask questions. So, so the third level of questions is questions that invite them to examine your beliefs. So it's like Colombo saying, have, have you ever considered this? Do you think it might be possible that? Can you help me figure something out here? Remember he used to say that? Can you help me figure something out here? Right? He used to do that. So... Remember the apologetics that you studied from last week? All those, those uh, lists of references, all those books you've read in the last week about apologetics, you know, all that stuff. So, you, you know, you come to the end of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, and you're, you're quite pumped about this argument that he says that Jesus, you know, somebody says to you, well, Buddha and Jesus, that, you know, I saw, I saw this from somebody in our Facebook this week. Uh, was it Buddha or? I think it was Buddha. Buddha and Jesus, they were the same. So they're saying to you, Buddha and Jesus are the same. So, what happens if, if you, you've just read C.S. Lewis's Lord Liar Lunatic Argument, right? And, and C.S. Lewis says, well, the difference with Jesus is that he said he was the creator. He said he was God. So, you have three options. Either he was who he said he was, or B he's lying or C he's crazy you, you, you really don't have any you don't have any there's no regal room there so so asking so pr- portraying that in, a, in the form of a question don't you think that Jesus was a bit unique from Buddha or from some of the others because of who he claimed to be and because of his credibility that there happens to be 2.5 billion people in the world today who follow him or claim to, right? So, so asking questions from that uh, perspective. Now, does anybody recognize this sign? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kathleen does. Uh, good try, because it's a trout. No, no, it's not a trout, it's a salmon. Kind of, kind of trout. They look like trout. <laughs> let's not quarrel about words <laughs> Now, this is this is over at uh, Lynn Canyon and uh, I, I've seen this for years and I've talked about this before but we were taking our our friends uh, who were staying with us this week for a couple of days we took them for a walk and um, so so an example of 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 a question came to my mind is they, they write about this and I'll just kind of read you can't see that very well so I'll read what that says these are salmon of course that are, or, originate right out of the North Shore they may be at Lynn Valley or they may be at the Capilano Fishery this is the amazing thing okay they, the salmon are, are, are spawned at these fisheries here in the North Shore they then migrate as far as, how far? How far do they go? Does anybody know? They go to Monterey, Mexico. They go to the Siberian coast. Now, this is what the sign says. When conditions are right, an unknown signal. I just get goosebumps when I read that. And it wasn't because it was cold. When conditions are right, an unknown signal tells them to begin the migration home. Somehow, they find their way home across thousands of trackless miles of ocean, even in overcast weather, when sun and and stars are not available to help with their migration. Reaching the coast, they pick up the scent of their home river with noses so sensitive that they can detect dissolved substances in parts per three, followed by... Eighteen zeros. It's unbelievable, right? Uh, and and there are scientists and uh, uh, people involved in 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 the, in the life sciences will tell you that there are, these kind of stats are all over creation right now. Just the the stats of even being able to for the for to have an earth that supports organic life. It's so unbelievable. And the only way that Richard Dawkins could figure it out is because of the odds are so, so great against even matter existing, let alone in organic life, that the only answer he has is there must be just billions of universes out there that up the chances of it happening by chance, and maybe it was aliens. How much <laughs> evidence does he have for it? Nothing. So we're talking about a belief system, right? So, asking a question is—is is it possible that the incredible? What are the chances of, um, of, of all this design, of there being a designer behind it, right? And 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 so asking questions. So I hope that's helpful. Those those are just uh, examples of, of questions and. And uh, I encourage you to take um, questions that, that are being, uh, or objections to the faith that, that you've heard, and, and praying and thinking about good questions that, that could be asked to get people to talk about the presuppositions. So in conclusion, for reflection, this is just for our own character and just our posture of humility, to take on the posture of St. Francis, which is to seek to... to to understand before we're understood? Do I find it easier to ask questions or to make statements? Do I find it easier to ask questions or to make statements? In my conversational skill, am I more of a proclaimer or an asker? And ask yourself, how might my conversational preference be helpful or non-helpful? in evangelistic, or any conversations. Remember what I said last week? The lowest form of advice is advice that hasn't been asked for. (laughs) So learning to be an asker. Learning to be a person who's inquisitive, inquiry. You know what? This is good for marriages. Right? Mm -hmm. This is good for just brother and sister relationships. Brother-brother relationships. uh, Sister-sister. It's With your kids. You know? Boy, especially when they hit teens, man. I, most of my teen years with my kids was was questions. The, the, they they become daddy deaf to me to me telling them stuff, but questions often got them thinking and brought out conversation uh, that that were very helpful. And you know, if if you're if if somebody's accusing you of being manipulative or That the way you're asking questions isn't helpful. Get someone you trust again to to critique lovingly your tone. You know you sound so angry all the time, right? You know Kathleen used to say, "Well, why are you so angry?" I said, "I'm not angry," right? And and our self awareness can be really low, right? In in conversation. So so pray for one another and critique one another and love so that we can, we can model to our generation the, the heart and the spirit of Jesus, who is crying out for answers. This, this generation is crying out for truth. There's just so much confusion out there. And I think one of the greatest uh, apologetics that we have to work with today is this whole cry for justice in our world today. This generation wants justice. And so the question is, what's your basis for justice? What, who, who decides? Who decides? What's right and wrong? It goes back to the moral law argument of C.S. Lewis that he writes in Mere Christianity. And Paul wrote in Romans 1. Right? So, so our generation is hungry for truth. And justice, I think, is one of the doors that God is opening. Uh, so let's pray. Uh, Lord, we present to you our, our hearts and our, our attitudes, our words. Not only what we say, but how we say it. And we're hungry. We're hungry, Lord, to be more effective, that, that the saw be sharpened in our lives. Lord, it, you said to not say there's four months till harvest, but that the, the fields are white under harvest. And, and so if that's true, then we have friends, neighbors, colleagues, people that are hungry for truth. And all they need is a, is a loving, wise, humble person in their life that they can engage with and not be threatened by and even if, if we don't necessarily agree on worldviews, that, that we can do that humbly. We can disagree humbly and gently while pointing people to the truth. So, Lord, would you, would you come by your Spirit in? I ask you, Lord, for a harvest in our church. I ask you, Lord, that you will add over this church, if over the next year, you will add just dozens and dozens of brand new babies. I didn't even know that I was going to pray this, but I'm just feeling this prayer coming. Lord, would you add to our numbers people, and, and maybe they're not even Christians yet. Maybe they're just seekers. Maybe they just want to walk and, 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 and watch and learn. And Lord, they may be from the gay community. They may be the transgendered community. They may come from the drug addicted, Lord, the mentally ill, the, Lord, the, the business community, the, the yuppies, the people that are so hooked on money, but they're finding their, their emptiness in their heart. That we could walk with them and gently and kindly, Lord, ask the questions that they need to be asked. Help us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, even as we beautify our building this week, and Lord, we know that your building is not stones and brick and wood and mortar. Your building is people. But as we beautify this space this coming week, I pray that it would be a a picture of what you're doing in our body. That you're making us a welcoming, warm, loving safe environment where people can come and ask their questions. That there's light and brightness and goodness and beauty. Come, Lord.
1: Yeah, Lord. I just feel like we should maybe pray for each other that we have this magnetic sense of attraction, not that we're uh, attracting people to us because of our personality, but it's a spiritual sense of belonging. Because I've become aware of, like as Gordy's been preaching and teaching us, many of us still think that we can only be Christians if people believe the same thing we believe. And, and my experience has been that people need to belong and be very comfortable and being my friend, uh, and then gradually they can make choices in their own belief system. But we're so like, well, if this person doesn't believe what I believe, then they can't be my friend. Does that make sense? So I just feel like God wants to give us this sense of it's okay for them to, you know, to belong. To They can be my friend. I can be their friend. And I think that sometimes we have this We're over here, and they're over there. So I really believe that God wants us to have a sense of acceptance.
0: I think what I'm sensing is that some of us have, just like I said last week, you can't show gentleness if you haven't been given gentleness. You, You give what you've received. And some of us have needed healing in that area. Well, in the same way, uh, I'm sensing some of us have been in environments where you had to toe the party line or you were out. Mm -hmm. And and so if that's all you've had modeled to you, that's what you tend to give again. Mm -hmm. And God wants to just show, I think one of the most healing moments for me that I ever had in this area was a few years ago in Regent College, when they had a forum and they had about two or three professors stand up and seriously disagree on a theological issue. And then I watched at the end of that conversation how they loved each other, in spite of that. Well, I think that they had two professors talk about the, uh, the leadership of women in the church. One, one was, was kind of this uh, complimentary, and, uh, it should be men that lead and elders. And I know some of you, that sounds like from Mars nowadays, but but then someone else stood up and talked about egalitarianism, why women need to be given authority and leadership as well. And they, 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 de- they debated, and, and they still were respectful and loving to one another. And I think that's... Uh, that some of us need some healing, and, and we want to invite you to, to get some prayer into that area. Uh, go ahead, Joy.
2: I... Uh, had a little bit of a heads-up on today's topic because I'm um, preparing to share next week's sermon. Mm-hmm. And um, and so uh, Gordy had given me a reference for some of this source material already, and I was looking at it this week, and I had already been thinking about asking questions. Um, but I'd also been thinking about my topic for next week, which is speaking the truth in love. And the thing that has come up for me in thinking about all of it is how very afraid I am of confrontation at all, any kind of confrontation. I grew up in a family where um, I did not see my mom and dad fight. They, and even expressions of our own anger or own um, way to be upset, it was quite, it was very British and we were polite and we were calm and nice and And most of the time that works okay for me because I'm kind of naturally that way anyway. But I realized as I was thinking about this how very terrifying it is for me to think about asking questions because I don't really want to know the answer. I don't really want to know what people think. Or I would way rather, if someone says something that I find controversial, I would way rather just smile and nod and change the subject. Um, because that's kind of what I learned how to do. But I had it, because I was thinking about this, I had an experience yesterday where I was at a birthday party with um, a woman who I'd never met before. She was an older Greek woman, and she said to me, I told her that we worked with a Christian missions organization, and she said, she has been on the drive for years, and she said, you're with the Vineyard. Gordy Lagore is your pastor. What is the church saying about the, cur- uh, the current situation in the world? What are you hearing from the church? And I... So then I answered as best I could. And then I thought, a question. I should ask her a question. So I said, what do you think? What's your experience? And I happened to be actually sitting on the floor. And she was sitting on a chair. And within seconds, I thought, I am sitting at this woman's feet. And it came out that not only was she a believer, she was incredibly articulate. I just felt like I'd had this incredible download of wisdom. And I thought, what a great experience that I've just had asking this question. And I had a great experience last night when Sophia was falling asleep. She was just smiling as she was falling asleep. And I just said, what are you thinking about? And she said, uh, fancy hotels and flowers and arts and crafts and cowboys. <laughs> I was like, I had to write it down. But as we were sitting back, as I was sitting back there, my heart just started beating so fast. And even as I came to the front, my heart was beating so fast. And I felt like I need to ask for prayer this week in order to be able to, because I I think I need to have an experience this week in order to be able to speak authentically next week about sharing the truth and love, even when it's hard and uncomfortable. That's my preparation. But I thought, I think probably I'm not alone if there are other people that have a a fear of confrontation or a fear of asking questions, that's probably not just me. So, um, I want to ask for prayer for that. And I just wondered if there was anybody else who would want to pray with me for that, that if you grew up in being told that it's not okay to ask questions, or it's not okay to confront people, or that you don't show if you disagree, you don't say anything if you disagree. Um that asking questions can be really beautiful and positive, but that's a pretty hardwired message to get around. So that's what I need prayer for, and I'm probably, I'm hoping I'm not all by myself,
0: so let me. Thank you, Joanne. Remember that, uh, that time where the disciples said to Jesus, or, or Jesus told them about dying and rising again, and, and Luke or one of the writers says, it's very graphic, he says, uh, they didn't understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. Yeah. Which explains why when the death and resurrection of Jesus happened, they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Because they hadn't asked questions earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really, that's really spoken to me to not be afraid to ask the hard questions, the awkward questions, the difficult questions. How many of you have ever been in a classroom where you thought, oh, that's a stupid question, I shouldn't ask that, and then the person next to you asked it. Yeah. And you go, oh, oh man, I... Right? Yeah. So... Don't, if you're thinking the question, probably other people are too. What I want to do is pray for us. And then, and then if you want to follow through with more prayer from these words that Kathleen and Joanna have given, uh, to, to turn to each other and pray or to um, uh, come forward for prayer here at the front. Um, but I want to pray for us that God would, and this is for me too, that God would help us to ask good questions. Just really simple. So if you'd like that, just stand to your feet and we're going to pray. Lord, first of all, we think of the posture of Jesus who was called the Word of God and how that he came into the world, you as God came into the world in the first place we find you is listening and asking questions. Listening and asking questions. And how that you joined the two on the road to Emmaus. And you just listened to the conversation. You just entered the conversation. You, just, you didn't blab your way into it and, with your own agenda and say, what's the matter with you guys? You're, you listened. Father, would you make us listeners? Holy Spirit, come. Make our ears to hear. Make our eyes to see. Make our mouths to speak and our hearts to seek and our hands to reach out. And touch the world with your love. Holy Spirit come. Come Holy Spirit. Let the friendly God. The God who did not wait for us to come to him. But came to us. May the relentlessly friendly. Reconciling love of God. Be honest this week. And love through us. And hug through us. And listen through us. And ask through us this week, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.